Well, I don't want them to you be. You don't in... want to expose them to sunlight or they might burst into flame. Right. Well, that's a terrible, that's a very, uh, that metaphor stakes me right in the heart. <laughs> My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. My name is Nathan Pletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. Nathan, you have a question on your face. What can I help you with? Well, I would like to know what exactly we are talking about this time on the Design Games Podcast. This time we're going to look at GM roles and responsibilities and authorities from a different direction. Not only how they affect your design, but how your design affects them. So, following up on these, uh, this, this list of questions that I kind of made up for myself out of thin air, but seem to be productive to talk about. Where, where, where's, where's the entry point for you into these, Will, past what we talked about in the um, GM structure episode? Part of it for me is that what I love is that these questions are fruitful both in a design perspective and in an actual play perspective. Mm-hmm. Because in part, what, when, in answering them as a designer, you get answers that it is kind of very important to communicate to the GMs and players who are going to be playing your game whether you do it implicitly or explicitly or whatever, right. so, that, so that they understand the answers to these questions. Well, like we said, they're not abstract. Right, right. Like right. in the sense of answering them in the abstract is very difficult. So to, to quickly recap, I, I came up with this list of questions that I think are things that always happen in a game and that by answering them, you will find the fruitful intersections of why a GM does this and not that, why the you provide this kind of support and not that kind of support. So... And when, and when you're drifting a game and when you're not. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So quickly, they're just what needs to be created or established. Why does it matter? Who does it? That kind of stuff. Where where does the propellant come from? The go, the the plot, the, the get, get the story moving. Mm-hmm. What makes things interesting? And interesting is in brackets to be replaced with for your game. Like what's the core question of your game? What's the conceit? What's the premise? Mm-hmm. And then whatever makes that interesting is what you want to drill down into for yourself. And then which personal visions of play do you prioritize and when and how and how do they overlap? How do they move around? Yeah. And these are all available in the show notes, the the longer version show notes uh, at designgamespodcast.com. Because what, what's interesting to me is that if, if the designer answers these questions and doesn't successfully convey them to either the GM or the multiple people breaking up the, the traditional GM role, anybody who has, I mean, any player really, but... Mm-hmm. Um, then they then then they have been answered for no reason because right, there, there's you, a relationship between designer and GM that is very, that is very unusual really in gaming. Interesting. So my first reaction is yes, I agree. If you like, there's there's some things like we talked about the big three questions way back back at the beginning of the show, and there's some other things that break those into smaller atomic chunks that are sometimes called like the Power 19 or something like that. If you want to look that up, where it's kind of a, a bullet list of questions that you could potentially go through and answer in your design process. And then just leave that as a notebook page mm-hmm. and design your game and they get transmitted implicitly, but not necessarily explicitly. Right. Um, that doesn't necessarily help the game get played the way you envision it if it just stays as a notebook page where you've like, oh, I'm going to answer each of these questions in little bullet points. Well, it's interesting right? to me, to me the, the difference is that if, for example, I have similar, let's say I have a question, a list of questions like this for a board game, mm-hmm. I wouldn't state them explicitly. To, mm-hmm. the, to the player because it would almost be like spoiling the game. Like It'd be like saying, so you'll notice that as you play this game, the trade the trade economy starts to develop in this way that reflects very much the fur trade in, in, in the Pacific Northwest, right? Mm-hmm. You could say that, but that's kind of not, that's kind of one of the reasons we play is to see if that happens and if we get it and how that right. works. You right? don't necessarily say like, 
the purpose of this economy is to prevent a runaway victory right. from the person who establishes the, the earliest lead. Right. I mean, you might, but you might. It's but not, you might you, not. You might not. You, you might, might let that to. be emergent. Yeah. These are these are decisions that you make, right? But the, and if if one of the decisions you make is to be implicit and you are successful, then mm. then you have a game that could be or uh, uh, borders on brilliant. People mm. look at it and they go, oh, it was exactly like it alluded to, and then it turned into this beautiful experience. Right. You don't feel like you're being scare quotes hit over the head. Right with a right. premise, or and, and it like feels that. like it was genuinely emergent, and yet still by design. Mm-hmm. Whereas something that is emergent on accident, even if good, is regarded differently than something that is emergent and not on sure. purpose. Yeah, or that is emergent on purpose. Mm-hmm. If you're explicit, you have a greater likelihood that that hopefully, you have a greater likelihood that the players, including the GM and and all other players, will get what you're going mm-hmm. for and be able to help you deliver the game at the table, so that if this phrasing or that feat or that spell or that monster doesn't behave at my table the way you thought it would behave at just tables in general. Mm-hmm. I can I can self-correct and patch the game a little bit. I hate that word fix. Uh, I don't hate it, but it's overused. But I can I can help you. you I can, can help us all. Correct. I can course correct and I can help all of us make the game achieve what the game said it was going to achieve. Mm-hmm. But at the risk of perhaps losing some of the some of the feeling of emergence and right. some of the appearance of what some, we might the, call some elegance. of the elegance, yeah. yeah. And that's interesting to me because mm-hmm. the GM is always complicit with the designer at an RPG on some level. The question is what mm-hmm. level? Because I don't think you can reduce it to zero, or it's no longer a GM role, really. So in in this realm, uh, we're using GM kind of inclusive yeah. of however the the GM role gets split up. So this could be the single GM, the co GMs, the right you know the 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 collaborative gm set of players right and and and, and the o- the only place actually i should say cuz i just realized i was doing it in my head that i'm seeing that as separate because i am including any of those player uh uh positions where the gm bequeaths a certain amount of gmness to a player for mm-hmm. like a scene and then takes it back at the end of the scene mm-hmm. like when it happens in a game like D&D where there's a pretty clear dm player role but you might say why don't you tell me what the goblin village is like Okay, great. Thank you. And then you take back the conch and you keep going. What I'm realizing is also there's there's a there's a relationship between the designer of the game and the players, including including the GM, mm-hmm. which is important to note. Which is the people who have read the book and the people who haven't. Yes, absolutely. I was definitely going to talk about that. Right, because part of what's the thing there is that if I've read the book, so that I've read both, and I've read it, including the what is role playing section, the GMing section, and the about the author's note, designer's note section, or whatever, mm-hmm. so that I know not only the stuff that the rules say how to do stuff but what the designer's vision was for how she thought how she aimed for things to emerge and how she hoped that when that would be revealed right and that may be inclusive of literal notes like here's what i'm trying to do with this game right or that may be like oh i read into how all these examples are phrased yeah that like this is the intended effect of applying these things so hey guys like i know it doesn't say this on the cheat sheet but in all the examples the monsters act like this so let's try that you know that kind of thing right uh, one thing that has really come together for me in the last 24 hours due to a combination of factors is how interesting and and difficult it is that writing rules and writing books mm-hmm. is basically what we're doing is trying to communicate an oral tradition with text. Mm-hmm. I know that's so obviously true that it doesn't sound that exciting, but phrasing it that way for me has been really interesting because I was doing an interview, but I was uh, talking to uh, a wrestling like radio show um, about worldwide wrestling and they are, you know, wrestling fans and not gamers. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of 
you know, they're like, so tell us what a role-playing game is. Like, how does it work? Like that kind of thing. And one of the things that they said was like, we took a look at the, at the book. It looks great. We lo- love the art. It seems really long and complex. And it, I mean, it is from the perspective of playing a video game and right. the text is atomic and the processes are invisible. Invis- invisible until they, until shown to you right. at the moment you need them. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so that was kind of one of my, my talking points was just like, it is easier to play the game and learn it than it is to read the game and learn it. It is easier for the person who's read the game to teach it than right. for every person at the table to read the game and then come together and try and play. Right. Tabletop role playing is primarily an oral form. It's conversation mm-hmm. and it's also taught orally. And we see that in games where, where you play a game with someone who learned it from someone and they learned a habit or they learned an approach or whatever, or a rule even from that person. So they put it in their game. And then if you go back and read the book, that's not in there or right. it is in, or something is in there that you never did. And if you like bring it up, like, oh, well, when I, when I played with Jim, he never did that. So I'd, I've never thought to do it. Right. It's a shifting, shifting sand implies like kind of some kind of negativity that I don't mean, but there's a, there's a set of overlapping, that overlapping Venn diagram of read it, played it, played it with another person, right. played it with the designer, right? right? Like all that stuff. Played a previous version. Yeah. All that <laughs> yeah. stuff. Played other games like it ends up, that all ends up informing each individual instance of play. Right. And that's, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right to single that out because it's not the fact that it's an oral tradition that is being or an oral pastime that is being conveyed through text is I think is both long recognized as true but incredibly slippery it's really easy to forget it's easy to forget and I when you're in the business of writing yeah you know when you're in the business of conceptualizing words writing them and then putting them into some form that other people can read them yeah it's really easy to get focused on the words and rightly so, because they have power, as we've discussed, but kind of forget that they're not even necessarily the number one way that people will learn your game. Right. And, and they're not that for all that reference is useful and that, that when we fight over, not fight, but we struggle with whether or not these books are reference books, if they are mm-hmm. teaching guides, if they are entertainment what, what, how do you prioritize these various steps that they are? If they're mm-hmm. fiction, if they're nonfiction, if they're creative nonfiction, whatever mm-hmm. they are. And different games do different things with Pick those priorities. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and grandly so. Mm-hmm. Guide to Glorantha, for example. Yes. Uh, or um, uh, Castle Falkenstein was my, one of my mm-hmm. favorite examples where it is unabashedly full of its own, that its fiction is presented in narrative in mm-hmm. a really great way. But is that um, uh, I find myself knowing this and then fighting against it and always reaching the same conclusion in which I go like, well, no, but there's so much. I mean, because I think the, the, the role of, the, of text is it's interesting. I don't want to say that it can't be it can't be dismissed, but it can be minimized, which is to say that some RPGs, the text is given more credence than is necessary. Mm-hmm. And this is the classic for this is kind of the point or the the, the evolution of rule zero, which is the GM is just let the GM tackle it and then just ar- and then argue about it later. Right. Right. That, that rulings, not rules, that can, these kind of notions, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that in some games you are no longer playing the, the same game when you derivate in certain ways Mm -hmm. and in other games, it's like, no, you forgot a plus two modifier who gives a damn. Yeah. And so it's not all. And so, I mean, in part because the games, like you say, I mean, they are, they are complicated and they are more complicated to learn than they are to play. Even when you learn the give and the tolerance and the, the pliability and the flexibility of one game, 
Now you take that to another game and you find out that you're mistaken. Yeah. That this game is much more rigid or that its branding is much more rigid or that its text is much more rigid or, that, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Creates a situation where it creates part of the context, I think, for for something like choosing how explicit or implicit to be when answering design questions mm-hmm. and answering, the, you know, answering four questions about how, what the GM can and cannot do. For example, answering these questions very strictly or very specifically in, a, in bullet points can be is what's what's good for one goose is not necessarily great for another goose mm. in that you say, and I'm leaving the gander out of it entirely, is that <laughs> um, if you say, well, like uh, look at NPCs through crosshairs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or actually the one that gets me is to do it, do it. Sure. Um, but for example, right, that, that for everybody that you hit with that, you're, that, you, that every target that you successfully connect with, there's a target that you might miss for, for anything, right? Every game has one of these. This rule zero absolutely does this, where for, some people go, oh, of course, I get it now. And other people go, and other people abuse it, and other people don't quite fully understand or don't feel confident enough to do it or right. whatever it is. And it's picking your battles, picking your targets again in some ways, so that you're saying, well, look, I think that I'm, and like this is one of the things I think that, that Apocalypse World is great at, is that it was getting certain ideas through to people who have had these ideas put before them before and didn't inter- either didn't connect with or didn't internalize or didn't feel like they had enough permission to or whatever. There's lots of reasons. Right. It got through. And I hate to say that because it makes it sound like the people who didn't, who weren't gotten through to were like stubborn or, or whatever. That's not what I mean. No, it's, but I it connected with people yeah. in a way that well, it's in other a, games had failed to do. It's in a coherent framework where you can kind of see why each of these things individually matters as well as matters together. While in other contexts, I think sometimes they're split up a little. Like it's kind of the, the, the putting them on one page solution. Sure. Like if all these things inhabited other games or multiple other games multiple and, you, other and games, you've yeah. assembled this set of tools for yourself, but you're like, you know, I'm, I'm following how, you know, Vampire says to establish theme and mood, but I found the, you know, the, the shadow run model for scenarios mm-hmm. is actually really valuable for me. So you're like pu- pulling all these tools from other games and then... When you find a game that's like, oh, here are elements of both of those put together in context with each other. It is clearer to me why those work and why I should, you know, why I can accept just doing these. I I feel like that's almost the opposite of, I mean, because that's absolutely true that that happens, but that's the opposite of the point I'm trying to make, which is that if the the person you're talking that you've just, that you sketched out here already knows that and and they find a game that agrees with them Mm -hmm. and that's fine, but that game already agreed with you and you already agreed with it. You just didn't have it ready yet. What I'm getting at is people who hadn't yet learned, who hadn't yet put together successfully part A and and part B from different games and something like Apocalypse World is the one that says, no, these two things can, they interact like this. Yeah. And you go, oh, you know, I didn't, I never got that. Or every time I tried to do A with B, it never worked. It never worked. But now it does. Now it does. Yeah. Okay, I see. And yeah. that's the thing that, and the reason I, the reason that's magical to me, at the same time that it's sometimes vexing and confounding, is because it's not easy to do, and there's no blueprint for it, mm-hmm. right? Vincent in Apocalypse World sets out to do it and then does it, and there's that old the, the old statement, right, which is that brilliance hits a target or skill hits a target that no one else can hit, genius hits a target that no one else can see, mm-hmm. and the difference to me is that I think a lot of people had seen that target in the sense of, or knew, knew that they hoped it was out there yeah. and Vincent hit it really, really well. But one of the things that he does to do that is completely miss, for example, me. Sure. Yeah. Not yeah. completely, but right. But, and then part of it's also like, I'm not actually out anything because a lot of what he's getting at is stuff that, that, that many of us, like you said, cobbled together from other games and different mm-hmm. components. And he get, uh, like the line from Fight Club, I use this for, for, for Apocalypse World all the time is that Vincent just gave it a name. Yeah. Which is magically profoundly powerful. But giving things like plus one forward a term that would become jargon, that would become the lingo. Yeah. Uh, or, or starting all these various trends. I mean, a lot of these trends and kicking this stuff off. But part of the, it's also can be problematic because at the same time, for example, I missed out on, a, on like a, almost a year of Apocalypse World. Sure. Play. Yeah. Because, it's because like, I, I just like, don't want to deal with it. No, right? because, it, because it felt like the book was actively backhanding me for already sure. talking about it in different words, mm-hmm. which is not what it was doing. But the fact that is if I, that if I couldn't tell the difference between that and what it was doing, then on some level it was doing it. 
Okay. Yeah. Which is not to say, I, I, I don't think it's not about intent or anything like that. It's I brought baggage to it, but that baggage exists because I've been in, I've been playing games for a long, long time. And so that's still on me. But my point being that even if you do everything right in terms of making something explicit, right, you will, you there will are miss. people you're not going to connect with. Yeah. And so no game can hit, can, can hit every target. No game can be that game for everybody. Right. But the value of being explicit and drawing those dots, you know, connecting those dots for people can be finding that person that has right. never seen these two things put together before. Yeah. And, you know. It can be profound. Yeah. yeah. Because they're books, the implicit goal, and because they're because we see them connected to, to board games and stuff, mm-hmm. doing it implicitly has a value because people want to be called an elegant designer. Yeah. Right? I mean, not everybody, but it's always nice, right? Yeah. I think nobody, somebody says elegant, you go, how dare you? Well, and sometimes but, your project is to surprise people. Yeah. Right? Like sometimes one of your design goals is you will play this game and you will be surprised by what happens because I am going to intentionally not foreshadow it, call it out, right. tell you how to do it. I'm going to design a game that reliably makes this happen. That, and then when it happens, you're like, oh, that was great. Oh, yeah, damn it. They yeah. did it again. That's great. Yeah. 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 And, and part of what's magic to me about that still is another way to say that is that it will surprise you and not me, which is yeah. to say it will surprise the player and not the GM or not the designer and where you move that line. Mm-hmm. If you play Call of Cthulhu, nobody is surprised. If you play the Tome of Horrors and everybody lives, people are surprised. If you, if the GM, know, if the GM isn't surprised, but the, but the rest of the players are surprised mm-hmm. or vice versa or whatever it is, different things are happening. Mm-hmm. If you have a situation where everybody's communicated with so that we go in expecting thing A and we get a really great example of thing A, that's a form of satisfaction that's, 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 that's entertaining and valuable. If we go in expecting A and we get A and B mm-hmm. and we like both A and B, then great. And yeah. that's one of the big things that I think a lot of people go there's for. Like, the thing there's, is, there's, is the GM in on it with you or not? Are the players in on right. it with you or not? And you can target that. Yeah. You can say, in this game, the GM does these things. And then see what happens. You'll right. love see what happens. happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. It can, it can be the GM does these things knowing that their goal is to surprise and delight the players. So here are the tools for doing those things. Right. Or it can be, just do these things. That's how this game works. Just do them. Yep. And then when someone goes on Twitter and is like, hey, we played Insomniac Fighter Pilots game. Right. And you will never believe what happened. And then you're like... Yeah, like yeah, they, exactly. they did right. it. They you know, did they it. did the thing that I wanted them to do. Or you can be like, you guys are going to play, and here's all the tools, and here's where you're going to end up. And it will be delightful, but it might right. not be surprising, right. right? At that point, once you include everyone. Right. And well, maybe that's more or less effective. Especially as somebody who's who's done Power by the Apocalypse games, which have well, they have a lot of expectations on them right now in terms of what mm-hmm. what they can do and what they what they do really well. How did you reconcile when somebody says in a play to find out what happens kind of a game or in a game that has a lot of inherited structure from wrestling in the case of worldwide wrestling, right? That has a certain amount of known factors. Yeah. When they play and they say this thing happened, X Y Z happened, and your game is built to to support X and Y very strongly, and you love Z, but you didn't put Z in there. Mm-hmm. They put Z in there. Mm. Right? What is your relationship to Z? Like, do you feel mm. ownership over it? Do you feel like, yeah, great, I, cool. They even got Z out of like where. And this is one of the things that, that kind of gets me across the board is the question of I feel like designers get a lot of credit that GMs deserve. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Not or, or, that, or that they both deserve, but that sometimes I see that credit passed on to a designer, right? As if the GM didn't make Z happen. It's a really good question. Worldwide wrestling is an interesting case for this because part of the project of the game uh, and and part of the fruitful tension in doing it in the apocalypse world framework is that how do you play to find out what happens in a genre 
that is literally prescripted. Well, that is literally about here's what is going to happen. And that was like, as I said, the, the productive tension that I think makes that game work, where how I chose to cut that knot is giving the, the GM very explicit instructions about what they can and cannot control. You do script the matches in the sense of that you, you do determine who wins what match. Um, you do give yourself a schedule of what scenes are going to happen. You basically block out the whole episode before you start actually playing. So I'm like, there'll be a match, there'll be a backstage segment, there'll be a vignette, there'll be another match. Here's who's going to win each of those, here's who's involved in each of those. At the same time, I say, players, here are, all the t- here are all the ways that you can just throw yourself into scenes. You can use these rules, or you can also use this, this just fictional positioning of whenever you want to say something, there will be a mic there. That's a rule. Like, right. no one can take your microphone away. And then the GM is actually limited in their ability to to tell players no. You you can you have all this control, but not when they do this. And so that creates the productive ability to have surprising results that no one had planned. Um, is the interaction of those two things where I've so for me where I've split up things like um, where does the like where does the propellant come from. Mm-hmm. It comes from the interaction of the scripted and the unscripted. Like it needs both. Right. If it's all unscripted, it's there's no tension. There's no, and it's it's just chaos. If it's all scripted, there's no surprise. Right. Um, and it's boring for the other players. So in that, when people come out with like, and we had this crazy, you know, we had this crazy match, and all this stuff happened, and there were explosions, and nine people threw on stipulations, and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, well. That's probably not what I would have done because that's a little sillier than like I like or that's a little that's a broader reading of like how you apply those to each other than, mm-hmm. than I tend to interpret. But you told me all the awesome things that your characters did and you had a good time. So great. Who am I to say that that was like that's not wrong? Sure. It's clearly not wrong. Sure. What, what, what if I'm in a situation where all that extra stuff, right? The, mm-hmm. the stuff that they do is also exactly what you would have done plus. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just feel satisfied that the game works. Right. Right. Like I'm just like, oh, good. It worked. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's, especially with a genre game where it's like you're playing in a genre and you're a bunch of genre fans and you all know how the genre works. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need the game, right? You just do the genre. Right. Right. No. So sometimes it's like, oh, we did a, I'm trying to think of an example. I guess sometimes what happens is usually the thing is that someone that no one expected ends up like winning, like a match or winning a championship or something like that where mm-hmm. it's like everyone was working to win and then this other person won because and it all were and it was and we were all like oh my god that's so cool and by the strict logic of how wrestling works like that never would have happened because oh yeah yeah because there's kind of like you know there, 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 the formula is a formula and if you just follow the formula you'll get kind of the same results so if you had just done wrestling the jobber never would have won the championship but the jobber wins the championship you know often enough for me to hear about it and see it at my tables because they end up being a uh, sympathetic character and oh, people yeah. start rooting for them and start throwing their own interests under the bus so that they can elevate the sympathetic yeah. underdog character. So that kind of stuff is, I'm like, great. The game works to create surprising and satisfying results. Not just satisfying. Right. And not just surprising. Right. But both. So I guess my feeling is satisfaction. Cool. That, that's what I aim for. Right is to be satisfied when that happens, and I am. But I also find that what I do is because of my particular history of as a designer, I am very protective of the design wins that I get, unhealthily so. Sure. Which is to say that sometimes I won't let them out the door because I'm uh, because right now it's going well. Mm-hmm. There's also the the fact that where somebody says this game was great, I will say you did great because you made that happen as a GM. Your right. players are terrific. You guys had a great dynamic at the table. Y'all had a 
terrific experience. That's that's fabulous. I'm glad I could help with that. Mm-hmm. And then I feel guilty for putting that last sentence in there. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which is not. Mm. Which is. But I'm saying that every stage becomes this unhealthy balance because I think the dichotomy is essentially false. In which it goes, which one of us gets credit for that? Right. That's we, the thing. Let's just manufacture more credit. There's plenty of credit. Right. We could just make more praise for how well your yeah, game. Everyone went. can have an equal stake. <laughs> right. In, in the success. Right. Yeah. 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 So for me, feeling but, good about it doesn't have to come at their expense or vice versa. Right. So getting back to this GM designer yeah. kind of thing. So there's kind of two two vectors I'm thinking about. One is there's the, in quotes, like experienced GM or mm-hmm. something like that, or people who run lots of games, play lots of games, who through the nature of their experience feels confident just doing things that they know are going to work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes whether that, sometimes that fits into what the game in particular is doing. Sometimes it's an additional layer or a house rule or something imported from another game. But like, I play with these people every week. We know what we like. We know what surprises and delights us. And even though you didn't put this in this game, I'm going to put this in and it worked great and mm-hmm. we had a great time. On the other hand, sometimes you you have people who may not have that confidence in themselves to make that decision. Right. Right. And in that case are going to be turning to the text yeah. as, as the source of authority, the source of... Or support. Support, the yeah. source of like, oh, I had this idea. Can I do this? I don't know. It is easy to share credit with those, you know, that, that first group because great you're, you're good at this it's a skill like we've said like being a good gm is a thing mm-hmm. it's a skill that you develop and when people are good at it they generally end up running good games and that might be independent of the individual game and that's okay right like that doesn't make it your worst designer it just means they're a good gm but how can you create an environment to make a gm good right like i think that's a relationship that maybe we could do better and that's and that's the, the place that, to me that procedure sings Mm-hmm. is because I've worked on and made games in which you tell the GM over and over again that they can do this and that you can say yes and yes, give it a shot and just say yes or roll the dice or all this stuff and it hasn't made a difference or has made a difference, enough of a difference. Mm-hmm. It hasn't affected as many players and GMs as I hoped it would, mm-hmm. a percentage of the, of the people playing. And part of what procedure does is it means, it's one thing if I tell everybody blanketly at the beginning, you will be good at this, give it time. People go, it's that second part. Or people go, I don't believe you. Or people, whatever it is. They, ha- they have ways right. to opt out. When you have in the procedure things like, okay, after step two, at this stage, mm-hmm. you can say whatever you want. And the next rule will still work. It will, mm-hmm. it will support you. Or you can say, you can pick any one of these three options here and you're still going to have a good time and it's going to go great and nobody's going to be like, I don't know. The fact that procedure contextualizes and paces the support for the GM and mm-hmm. tells the GM when, because like you say, you look to, you go to the rules wondering, can I say this, for example? That's a great example. Can I let this happen? Can we spend a whole D&D session in town? Can we spend a whole D&D session mm-hmm. shopping for swords? And it's one thing if the book says, yes, you can do whatever you want. I go, yeah, but, but that's... Yeah, but you didn't, whatever you want. You didn't say in here, this is... I feel pretty far outside the known boundaries right. of your game right now. Um, well, and also it's a blank page problem. Like, right. you can do anything. I think that's one of the, the problems about before, yeah. with, you know, with Rule Zero also, where it's like, yeah. well, it's your game, so do whatever you want. That's going to override right. the other priorities in this game text. And it's like, that is both true and not necessarily helpful. Right. Right. And, and, and its truth is not helpful, and, the, and it's the way it's presented is not providing the help that it was designed to present. Right. So when, but when you get to a step that goes between adventures or between dungeons or between action scenes, mm-hmm. the, players might go, the players might want to wander off and do a whole session at a, just talking in character. Good. It's great. Mm-hmm. That means you've got them. 
or whatever it is, right? That means, that means they're in now. Yeah. Cool. This is one of the reasons that ANN is built the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons that Dark is built the way that it is. To make it easier for me to give fruitful advice, and I use advice not as a dirty word, to give fruitful advice and encouragement and support at the moments that I know that the game expands or gets just a little bit yeah. fuzzy. So that when, so that it, because I love that feeling when I go to a rule book, even in a board game, whatever it is, and I go, wait, can we do this? They knew I was going to ask. Look. Yep. Right? Well, it's that seesawing, right, between yeah. strict procedure and the rest of the conversation. Yeah. And sometimes if you're like, okay, we're going to play this game and, and stick to all the strict procedures and you end up with kind of a joyless... <laughs> Kind right. of slog through procedure, yeah. and then other people are like, "Oh, we played this game, had a great time." And it's, where, where, where did you have the good time? Yeah, when did the when did you find space right. to have and a like, good time? Oh, well, I did. We did all this. We had this conversation, and we went to the town, and we shot for swords. And I'm like, but that's not in the book. They're like, so yeah. it's not not in, like there, there's nowhere in there that says don't do the fun stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, a really nuts and bolts example I just encountered, which is not role playing related, but is an example mm-hmm. I think. I played a, a, a card game, a really great card game, which I won't name because I'm about to diss part of its rules, which is not about the game, but it's about the rules. And you'll see what I mean. Sure. Um, we exhausted the draw deck mm-hmm. and had no indication that we should shuffle the discard pile and start over, but the game cannot continue unless we do that. Mm-hmm. And so we had a 12-minute conversation about it should say here, it doesn't say here. Obviously, that's what we have to do, obviously, but what if it says somewhere else to do something else? That's why it didn't say here, so let me check the rules again, right? And it was a 12-minute thing to do the most customary obvious thing right because it didn't say do the thing mm-hmm. that everybody knows how to do that everyone expected to do and that it was already obvious and expected but also because it specifically when it called out that the, 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 the discard deck exists exists it says in parentheses you probably already knew that and that <laughs> made me go the fact that it doesn't have a line like that or a reference right. to the seems other like thing like this person thought through it seems like an intentional omission so mm-hmm. i must be missing something else right right yeah and so when you have this situation what you say, and this is one of the reasons, I mean, obviously that, that playtesting and, and text editing yeah. and stuff is important, but is that, I mean, this game was very well playtested. It's just a, it was just a fluke, I think, about the mm-hmm. size of the rule book and stuff. And we, you know, and it's obvious. I'm, I, I think most tables probably wouldn't have even thought about it. Mm-hmm. They would have just shuffled the discard pile and gone on with their day and played a great game. Yeah. But is that um, the situation that was created was created with the best of possible intentions through a obfuscation, an omission, a, 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 an opaque spot yeah. where we go, obviously we would just do this thing, mm. but we are such neophytes to this game and also mm. experienced gamers from other oddball games. Right. We're we used kind of to, if you, know that if you know that your audience is educated, that actually means that you might run into problems like that. We are very good at following rules, right? We are we play lots of games that have rules that are listed out procedurally. So we're very good at looking through the list and finding when these rules happen and applying mm-hmm. them, you know, to the best of our ability. So if there's a rule that isn't in there, you know, there there's a potential tripping hazard, right? right? And now you expand that to procedure and mm-hmm. GM advice and GM policy right. and GM procedure. I and mean, this is the thing where most of my most of my games I talk about, I try to have some indication of like when you just like have in character role-playing discourse that's not mechanically mm-hmm. mediated right. uh formally or informally like in some of my smaller stuff it's like and you know after you make this role role play a little bit you know talk in character get some context going like that right. will help the rest of the game and, and it signals that you can stop and talk and, yeah. and that the game's not going to fly apart because you didn't 
immediately, because you didn't spend the point immediately after rolling the die or whatever it is, right? Mm. You didn't spend the point, roll the die. You yeah. spent the point, portrayed it, roll the die, portrayed mm. it, and the game still works. Yeah. Or like in, in Worldwide Wrestling, it's kind of like, hey, in the in the creative section, in the GM section, it's, there's a point where I say, things can happen very quickly and a bunch of people can all do make a bunch of moves all kind of either simultaneously or in very quick succession with results that end up overlapping. Mm-hmm. And one of your jobs is to take all of those and sometimes just make a judgment call about what mm-hmm. narrative thing happens to kind of justify everyone's role. And doesn't mean that you literally, and sometimes that means you can't or you shouldn't literally implement every single result. Sometimes it means you make a judgment call and you say, this is what happens. And then you move forward and that's okay. Right. Right. Um, because when I was, when I run the game, like that happens and I'm like, it is more important to wrap this up in a satisfying manner for me than it is to make sure that these two results both happen, even though they kind of do the same thing and affect the same person. We'll just apply it once instead of like applying it twice. Right. Like that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. And I mean, that's the thing. Judgment calls are in there and you don't, you don't want the GM to be at sea when they make them. Right. And so that's kind of an element of like, I guess permission is a strong word, but calling out like, Hey, here's a moment that I know for sure you will need to make a judgment call as opposed to like, well, the book doesn't say what to do when right. all this stuff happens. When you're making a judgment call at this moment, mm. you are doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for listening to the Design Games Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on your pod listening apparatus of choice. To discuss the podcast or things related to the podcast, such as game design, you can search for the Design Games Podcast community at Google+, or you can find the link at designgamespodcast.com. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...